Welcome to a talk from St. Saviour's Sunbury. We hope that it blesses you. Just got a prop here. I've gone, to, I've spared no expense this morning. Um, actually, I have here five of the most surprising words you can find in the Bible. Would you like to know what they are? Yeah. Good. <laughs> you, know, you know, good things to come to those who wait. So just hang on in there. So, uh, I, are you ready for a bit of endurance training? Yeah. yeah, good, good, good. That's why I turned the heating off this morning. It's, all, <laughs> it's, it, it's actually all part of a very clever plan we have. So that's good. Um, now, actually, just to be serious for a minute, there will be those amongst you here who have come here, uh, maybe a little bit to what Jenny was saying, and, and you are just buzzing. Life is great. You, you know, things, whether it's relationships, work, finances, what you hope for in God, it, it's, it's all buzzing. And, and if that's you, that's brilliant. Um, and, you know, personally, I cheer you on, you know, be a blessing to others. That's cool. There will be those at the other end of the spectrum for whom you have just done really well to get here today. You know, and bless you if that's you. You know, because sometimes life is just really, really tough. And, you know, whatever end of the spectrum or whatever, wherever you are in between, um, you know, God wants you to know that it is not your inheritance to be worn out or to be ineffective. And he's got some stuff for you to help you through the tough times in life. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. Okay? So, I'm going to read from, it may come up on the screen if we get it, I'm going to read from the book of James. Chapter 1, verses 1 to 18. Now, there are a number of Jameses mentioned in the Bible. This one, this book, is attributed to James, the brother of Jesus. So, ah, oh, excellent. And as I often say on these occasions, because it's all good for you, words on the screen, what I read, they'll be different, it's good, spot the difference, help you understand, they're different versions, so are you ready? Yeah. 18 verses, here we come, they're all for you. From James, servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to all the Jewish believers that are dispersed among the nations, greetings. My dear brothers and sisters, react with real joy when you have to face many kinds of opposition and difficulty, for you know that we only learn to persevere when our faith is tested. This perseverance is essential if we are to become mature, being the people God wants us to be, lacking nothing. You should ask God to supply the wisdom you need, for he gives generously and unreservedly to all who ask. However, you must believe when you ask and not doubt his willingness to give. For anyone who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. Such a person is double-minded and unreliable in everything he does and should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. The believer who comes from a humble background ought to be thankful for the noble status God has given him. The wealthy one should be thankful that God has humbled him, for despite his possessions, he will suffer the same fate as the wild flower. For when the sun shines with scorching heat, the plant withers, its bloom fades, and its beauty is destroyed. In like manner, the wealthy one will fade, 
even though he prospers in his worldly affairs. The man who perseveres in his faith when tested is blessed. Having passed the test, he will be rewarded with the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. When facing temptation, no one should ever say, God is tempting me. It's impossible for God to be tempted by evil, nor will he ever tempt anyone. A person is tempted by his own evil desire. This is what entices him. If he dwells on the desire, it will lead to sin, and fully developed sin ends in spiritual death. So, my dear brothers, do not be deceived. Everything that is good and perfect is a gift from God. It comes from the Father who created the universe, who never changes as moving shadows do. Through the word of truth, he chose to give us new birth so that out of his whole creation, we are those who come first as his own children. It's just one of those things that are true about life, a kind of truism. James knew it in his generation. You know it now that actually we kind of make progress in life. We change our behaviors and are open to receive when we are at our most vulnerable. We somehow just don't make much progress when we're on holiday. Holidays are there for different reasons. But there's a thing here, and James is reminding us just to get a few of these truths pulled out. James reminds us that we will face many kinds of opposition and difficulty for that you know that we only persevere in our faith when it is tested. So it's just, you know that, I know it, it's just reminding us. But again, Scripture tells us when we hit those moments, ask God, ask God, it says in verse 5, ask God to supply the wisdom you need, for he gives generously and unreservedly to all who ask. We've got to remember to ask, though. And just remembering all this, just how important you are to Jesus. He chose to give us new birth so that out of his whole creation, out of his whole creation, we are those who come first as his own children. Now, I want to talk about two things that will help navigate us through those testing times when they come. Two things. The first, don't know whether this is going to be a surprise to you, the first is solitude. And the second is talking to God, having a conversation with him. Because solitude is the path to hearing God. What on earth is solitude? Did you know that the answer to loneliness is not to go and be part of a group. The answer to loneliness is not to go and be part of a group. The answer to loneliness is solitude. And this is what I mean by solitude. Solitude is the art. It is a bit of an art, this. You'll have to learn how to do it. Solitude is the art of being at peace with who you are and comfortable in your own company. Solitude is the art of being at peace with who you are and enjoying your own company. If you meet somebody who is at peace with themselves and enjoys their own company, they're just great people to be around. They're great people to be around. 
Now, there's a guy called Blaise Pascal. You may have heard of him. He was a kind of Christian thinker and writer, a great man of God. And he said this. I don't know whether it's strictly true or not, but it made me stop and think. And he, he simply said this. He said, all, all of humanity's problems can be traced to man's inability to sit quietly in a room alone. All of humanity's problems can be traced to man's inability to sit quietly in a room alone. Let me just expand a bit on that. Now, there's a thing, there's a thing about solitude because at every critical moment of Jesus' life and definitely whenever he was at a moment of real vulnerability, he chose solitude. That's why I'm talking about it. That's why it's such a critical route through to hearing God. He chose solitude. Now, I don't know what solitude looks like to you. That is your responsibility. You have to work it out. Now, for one person, solitude may be you can find a bit of peace and quiet in a room, in a place, in the home in which you live. You can turn the phone off, no music. You can take a moment of quiet, five minutes, whatever, and you can simply stay still in the presence of Jesus. And if all you do is say his name over and over again and just sit and wait, you will take a moment of solitude. That may not be possible for some of you. For some of you, the way you're put together, it may be a walk along the river. It may be when you're on your way back from the school gate. There's a bench in the park. There's a tree that you particularly like. You just stop, and in the outdoors, you just take a moment, and the phone is off, and the music is off, and you just take a moment of solitude. It may be with noise-canceling headphones on the train or on the bus. Whatever it looks like for you, I just urge you, there is significance, significance in finding your moment of solitude. I loved reading about a great woman of God who, 100, 150 years ago, at the back end of the 19th century, she had her place of solitude. She was a mother of 11. 11. I can't imagine. I can't imagine. A mother of 11 in a small two up, two down. It was a place of wonder and of love. You can imagine the buzz. But every day, she took a moment of solitude. And everybody in that family knew when she was enjoying her moment of solitude because she would take a stool and she would sit in the kitchen and she would put a towel over her head. <laughs> and she would sit. And everybody knew that was Mama's time of solitude. I don't know what it looks like for you, but I do know that it's important, it's significant. And here's one of the reasons why. If you, and I would urge you, today, when you get home, wherever you're going, read Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6. This is a moment of epic pace in Jesus' life. It's extraordinary what's going on. Jesus goes with the disciples to Nazareth. This is his community where he was born, where he was raised. 
and he goes and he preaches in the synagogue and people are amazed and then they think but this is Jesus he's just a carpenter he's just like us we know his brothers we know his sisters they reject him throw him out say get lost we're not interested the rejection of your own people of your own family the deepest rejection of all he then sends out the disciples on their first mission trip don't take any food don't take any money don't take anything just go preach the word trust God go they go it's not clear from the scripture but I think he's then probably on his own and then the news comes through very often we get bad news when we're on our own it's funny John the Baptist, his cousin, his spiritual brother, if you like, he gets news. Herod has beheaded him. He's executed Herod. So now Jesus is on his own. He's been rejected. He's wondering about, wow, should I lead the disciples into this way of life? Can I cope with what I've been called to do? All of that uncertainty and rejection and fear and concern. Into this, the disciples come back from their mission trip and they demonstrate a spectacular absence of emotional intelligence. They are so off the pace. It's unbelievable. They don't get anything about what Jesus is going through. So they just belt in and they're buzzing. Oh, we pray for the sick. They got healed. Demons have been cast out. Broken people have been made whole. Blah, 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 blah. They're buzzing. And in amongst all this, the crowds gather. And as Joy talked to us last night, Jesus is then in all this turmoil. He's teaching from morning till, till dusk. And then there's so many people and there's no food. And what are we going to do? So he feeds 5,000 of them. And then more crowds come and it's getting so busy. He says, look, you guys have just got to go away. And he sends the disciples, puts them on a boat and says, go up to a place called Bethsaida up in the north of modern-day Israel. And we've got to create some space and then a storm blows up. And the disciples are having a paddy. They think they're going to die. So Jesus walks across the water, calms the water, gets them all back on message, and off they go. This is epic pace. To just get a sense of what's going on in Jesus' life. What does he do? What does he do at the moments of maximum stress and pressure? When the disciples, he's been rejected from his own people, the disciples come back from their first mission trip. What does Jesus tell them? Mark 6, if I can see the verse, 31. Come with me by yourselves. We will, we will go somewhere quiet together to rest. So Jesus and the twelve went by boat and headed for a lonely place. Jesus takes solitude just to clear the decks, moment of solitude, and then he seeks his father to spend time praying, talking, explaining how he feels. And then he comes back and he's centered. He's back and he's centered. And he blesses a little bit of food and it feeds 5,000 people. After the 5,000 people have been dispersed, but more crowds are coming, he sends, he sends the disciples ahead of him to Bethsaida. And then what does he do? He sent the crowd of people away. When he had done so, and the disciples had gone ahead of him, Jesus then walked up the mountainside to find a suitable place to pray alone. Solitude is critical if in this toxic culture in which we live, we're going to get centered and we're going to allow Jesus to speak. 
But you and I have to find those moments and create them in our own lives. We're invited to reflect on the importance of solitude and of talking to Jesus, but we have to work out how to do it. Which reminds me of a parable. The parable of the deranged greyhound and the bouncing bistro chair. It's not in your Bible? Well, I confess, it's not in my Bible either. But I think that's only because this only happened a couple of years ago and it just didn't have time to get in the Bible. But if the Bible was written today, I think it would be. Picture the scene. Anybody know Guildford High Street? Excellent. Good. A few of you do get out. Excellent. Guildford High Street. Down the bottom is Debenhams by the river. There's a nice cobbled high street. Goes up the hill. One peaceful weekday morning, the peace is shattered in the quiet, refined atmosphere of Guildford High Street. Round the corner from one of the side streets comes a greyhound at a great turn of pace, scrabbling its paws, trying to get traction. Around the corner it comes, barking with a mad, fearsome look in its eyes. Shortly after it comes a bouncing, pouncing bistro chair, wild, chasing down the greyhound, attached to the other end of its lead. It, its owner, completely unaware of the mayhem going on in Guildford High Street, was probably sitting quietly, sipping their decaf soya mocha latte with quinoa on the side. I don't know. Unaware that a passerby had just nudged the chair, which had scraped the gravel, which had caused the dog to jump. And then the dog jumped, and the bistro chair shot out from its place. And then the passerby shouted, the dog ran even faster, and round the corner, and then the chair reached its full arc as the lead went out. And the shopper shouted, and the dog ran even faster, and it was just last seeing disappearing around the corner by Wagamamas at the bottom of the high street. Um, but the thing is, our lives can be like that because we have fears and we have uncertainties. We have things we're not sure that we can cope with. We have things that seem too big for us to handle, and they can fill our lives. They can spook us and we can run. And the faster we run, the bigger the fears and the issues get. And the bigger they get, the further we go. And so it goes. And so it goes. Um, it's those moments of solitude that enable us just to get a little bit of clarity in amongst the noise of the culture in which we live. And then we can do what Jesus did, which is turn to his Father and talk to his Father. But there's one other thing that I want to finish on, which takes me to these five, you'll have your own view, but maybe five of the most surprising words you find in the Bible. Because when Jesus arrived in the Garden of Gethsemane in Jerusalem, in the hours leading up 
to his crucifixion, he too faced unbelievable anxiety and uncertainty as he sought to do what his father had called him to do. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, you can read it in in the Word, he prayed. He took time to pray to his Father in heaven. And of course, his Father in heaven had taught him how to pray, and that's been passed on to us. We know how we're taught to pray. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. And in Gethsemane, Jesus started to pray, Abba, Father. And then come these five surprising words. Because he then says this, take this cup from me. Jesus is saying, I am scared. I can't do this. That which I face, I just can't get through. I cannot do this. Change the call you have on my life, Lord. When we take these moments of solitude and when we pray, if there's one thing that Jesus invites us to do, it's to be radically honest in our prayers. Jesus is far more honest than the church is. Jesus is far more honest than we are most of the time. This is radical, honest prayer. Because this is kind of unbiblical. You're not supposed to say this, Jesus. You're the Son of God. I hear the will, I do it. Take this cup from me. You need to know that when you and I need to know, when I face my moments of struggle, he knows how I feel. He doesn't mind, Jesus, if I give it to him raw and straight in whatever words come out, however unstructured, however whatever. It doesn't matter what language you use. Just tell him. Because he's been there. He knows it. He knows what you're thinking. He knows how it feels. Take this cup from me. But of course, in his moment of solitude, he then gets recentered Because he starts... Abba, Father, take this cup from me and finishes, but not my will, but yours be done. And then he's recentered and he receives what he needs to do what God's asked him to do. So, as I finish, I'm simply just going to invite you, just, we're just going to sit. We're just going to sit for a couple of minutes, just as you reflect. And think about how you build this in. But be reassured, as James said, Jesus wants to give generously. Your inheritance is not that you should be worn out and ineffective. He wants to give generously to equip you and support you. And he wants you to be radically honest in how you talk to him. Let it all out. He can take it. So, Lord, we just give you a couple of minutes before Kirsty comes and leads us in worship again. Thank you, Jesus, that you show us how to connect with you. Amen. For more information about St. Saviour's, please visit www.stsaviorsunbury.org.uk.